The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast at the black and gold era of a fantastic wrestling company. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is Joshua Goodwin. How are you, my friend? Well, aside from a bit tired, as you mentioned pre record. Mate, I have had four hours sleep. I am grouchy. I am grumpy. But how could I possibly complain about being tired when I'm joined by the Iron Man of podcasting? <laughs> this man is a machine he doesn't get tired he's all over your airwaves i bow down to you sir let's get this done let's get this done because i need a nap (laughs) well the thing is as well you were saying you've got an incredibly busy weekend coming up as well haven't you so no rest for the wicked i guess no as soon as we get done here i need to pack up my bags kiss the cat goodbye and get ready for a a weekend to throw myself at the floor in lycra it's gonna be Mm. oh a gay old time (laughs) brilliant stuff on today's episode of nxt the rise and fall we are looking at the july 25th 2012 episode of nxt tv uh william regal and byron saxton are our commentators we're told straight away that we have a main event of drew mcintyre versus seth rollins which is quite a big deal considering the stature of some of these guys whilst was then and now but before we dive into that uh, I suppose we better have a little checkup with the Goodman Report and see whereabouts we stand on wrestling this week. The Goodman Report. Yes, thank you, Sai. So, the Goodman Report for the NXT July 25th, the uh, week off. So, this week we had Raw 1000, mm, Sai. Yes. You, you remember that one? A uh, lot of... Uh, NXT talent involved in that one. We had uh, Damian Sandow, uh, Heath Slater was there, uh, Hunico Camacho and Jinder Mahal were involved in getting murdered by the Brothers of Destruction. <laughs> uh, we also had the wedding of AJ Lee and Daniel Bryan, which all went you know, pear-shaped, as weddings tend to, um, with AJ becoming the new GM. And in the main event, you had CM Punk and John Cena, which went to a DQ when the Big Show interfered, and then The Rock interfered, because The Rock was back for this one, because it's Raw 1000, mm-hmm. and famously, CM Punk then turns heel, walloping The Rock with that big clothesline on the uh, people's elbow. So, si, what do you remember from that one? I'll be honest with you, there's an advert or promo for it, or like a recap, isn't there, later on, on this episode. I completely forgot uh, that this was the week of Raw 1000 even though we covered obviously, you know, 
it was 999 last week on the show when they replayed the the clips and so on i was sat watching thinking bloody hell i might re-watch this this looks amazing but i'm also now thinking raw was i think it was was it still three hours at that point yeah it would have been three hours i think so yeah yeah so that might be a case of we've seen all the best bits in that clip potentially yeah i mean um, it was still, it, quite heavily focused on weren't they Yes, yes, they had their little daily. They all had their big reunion. That was where uh, Damien Sandow was involved. He got murdered by everyone there. Um, but yeah, that that recap that was longer than some of the matches. I think we see yeah. tonight. <laughs> it was indeed. It was indeed. But still, that's some great memories. I mean, Sid was involved. Vader was there. So that, I always get a kick out of seeing the old WCW guys. So that was quite cool. But yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll scan through it rather than sit through the full three hours. I guess. Yeah, I'd recommend that, Sai. Um, <laughs> So moving on to SmackDown, we had uh, Ryback defeated Jinder Mahal by count out, but in a match where Jinder Mahal actually looked competitive. I think this may have been Ryback's first like competitive match since his debut. So it looks like maybe they've got a little something brewing there. They're actually okay. you know, looking to put Ryback into his first his first program. Um, in the main event of that one, we had Alberto Del Rio defeating Daniel Bryan, a returning Rey Mysterio and Kane to become the number one contender to Sheamus' World Heavyweight Championship. And then quickly jumping over to Japan on the 22nd of July, we have future NXT champion Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Hiroki Goto to win the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. And what a beautiful looking championship that is. All the bouts in Japan look great, don't they? Don't they? Don't I, I have personally have no idea why they changed the IWGP championship nah, recently. Normally. I thought, like it, it almost looks a little bit like the uh, the Divas Championship now with like I don't know it just that's the vibe yeah. it gives me. Yeah, that, I remember. That, yep, that title was just the most beautiful thing. I remember seeing it in the flesh once, and I was very tempted to jump up and try and run off with it. Where was that? Was that at the Leisure Center in Gloucester? That was at GL One Leisure Center. That was being held by AJ Styles at the time. Why? I was at that show as well with my wife. <laughs> Yeah, it's surprising how many people that you know were there, but that one, uh, considering, because I only found out because there was just a random poster, but the, that card was stacked. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's maybe enough nostalgia for a show that most of the people oh. here won't have seen or heard no, of. But you can buy the DVD online, so maybe one day we'll buy the DVD, get a couple of cans and reminisce. But there we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll do a watch along. That's it. <laughs> uh, our opening contest is a tag team match, and we have the team of Bo Dallas and Derek Bateman, and he is. They are facing, sorry, Johnny Curtis and Michael McGillicuddy. Uh, first of all, William Regal on commentary here describes the the bad guy combination as the, as a team that could go on to be the best the WWE has ever seen. Now, I'm all about promoting what's in front of you and bigging up the wrestlers that are performing and so on but is that slightly overegging the pudding a touch i mean i guess everyone has the potential to be the greatest tag team <laughs> oh, you've ever yeah. seen i guess um i don't think they'd shown any promise yet due to the fact that this was their first ever tag team <laughs> kind yeah. of, at least that we've seen uh so you know maybe a little bit much but uh you know they they worked pretty well as a tandem i remember so you know had a good uh, good little bit of old school tag team flavor uh that said they i don't believe they set the world on fire no i don't ever remember them teaming together at all so the fact that this happened i was a bit like oh okay so i'm, I'm not sure if they go on to have more matches as a combination i'm not sure but yeah they, they don't stick out in my memory at all I guess we'll have to wait and see for that one, Si. I don't remember them at all. So no. if they did have any success, I don't think it was very uh, long-lived. I mean, Bo Dallas and uh, the future Curtis Axel have a little bit of a run, but that's a ways down the way. Yeah, that is. That is indeed. That is indeed. Um, the match starts effectively with, with with the bad guy combination taking control on Bo Dallas, and they, they control the match for a, a good old portion of this, this contest. Um, so I did notice, however, on the outside, and it, I suppose it's more of a production issue or a, uh, a sort of setting issue, the crash mats on the outside, the, the cover looked almost slippy or loose. And as the wrestlers were walking around on it, it's moving around a great deal. Now, that the reason, I, the reason that sort of jumped out to me as jarring was everything WWE does 
is so heavily produced and looks great. The, the, the ring entrance area, the crash barriers or the crowd, uh, the crowd barrier, I suppose, crowd fence, everything about it just all fits perfectly, looks amazing. And, you know, this, this was really jarring for me because it was so out of place because it didn't look up to their normal, perfect level, I guess. You say jarring, I guess, jarring for people's knees, if nothing else. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you mentioned their slick production values. I think it says something about how high on the totem pole NXT was at the time. I don't think it was uh, something they were especially focused on. I think it was something that was an experimental deal that they were just trying to bring some people along, hopefully bring some people up. And frankly, I think they'd just run out of steam with the NXT yeah. deal, like the, the game show dealy before. So it was just the changes as good as a rest, but yeah, it definitely wasn't quite as slick. Like it's still far and away. Yeah. Uh, you know, very, very, it's very, very good, yeah. but uh, it's still, uh, yeah, it's still got some work to do. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe Mr. Vinny wasn't, micromanaging everything to the slightest little detail <laughs> yeah uh, it, it did sort of make me think of some some indie shows some local shows i've seen and where the, the mats on the outside maybe don't fit properly or they're not as you know in good condition as say what we see elsewhere and then of course from there my mind sort of snowballs a little bit and i think about certain rings i've seen be used in different companies and so on uh, with regards to, to yourself and, and where you've worked and the companies you've worked for with your style, how how much does it affect what you want to do? If you turn up and the ring is very, very small or the outside of the ring is maybe not padded very well or, or you know, the, I, I suppose that what I'm trying to get at is like the different environments from, from company to company, building to building. How does it affect yourself and others you know of going into matches? Because uh, you must have an idea what you want to do that weekend before you arrive, I'm assuming. I mean, sometimes, but also sometimes not. I think it, it is a situation we have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and yes, I've worked in some tiny rings. I've worked in some wonky rings. I've worked in some very knackered and broken rings. I've worked in rings that are as hard as concrete. I've worked in rings that are, you know, very soft. and or Well, soft is maybe the wrong word, but very forgiving. They do the job that, you know, they're set out to do and that you can, right. you know, drop yourself on your head and, you know, still have an intact neck. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can sometimes use, uh, what seems like limitations to your advantage because, um, I remember not so long ago, I wrestled in a, in a room that had a fairly low ceiling. So we actually incorporated it into the finish because I attempted a uh, crossbody off the second, but banged my head on the ceiling. Okay. So, and then it got a bit of a laugh and then led to my ultimate downfall, which, you know, for my role is perfect. But as you've said, I'm a, I'm a bumping heel. I make people mad and then I get beat up as a general rule. Um, and so it does matter to me greatly, <laughs> the state of that ring. Yeah. Um, that being said, oftentimes I will just soldier through and then regret it the next day. <laughs> that's quite inventive. A, a, a cross body from the middle and bang in your head. That, that, <laughs> that, I like that. That's great. <laughs> uh, something else I noticed watching this match was, I think something that kind of went under my radar a little bit and was pointed out to me in previous weeks by, by your good self, the camera angles in this match in particular were very unusual. We had the whole uh, sort of looking over the corner, then we had some very close cameras going through the ropes. Uh, obviously, they haven't got the sort of distant hard cam that we see on WWE television or even AEW television or, or wherever else for this tiny little place they're running, NXT. But again, those camera angles were incredibly unique but also i found in in the, in the opener here it really stood out how different they were the rest of the show i don't think it was as dramatic mm, i think again it speaks to the whole experimental nature of nxt during this time i really think that they are just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks it reminds me of it, again it's just sort of a project where they can take the things that work they can bin off the things that don't work and take it up to raw and uh you know, see how it works out there. I guess they didn't like the crane because it didn't transfer over. But some of those yeah. uh, tighter shots, they definitely seem to have kept some of those. Um, with the actual match itself, I remember feeling it was very unambitious, yeah. if that makes sense. It was very much 
the seven the seven piece structure if you and your listeners are familiar with that if not it's the whole idea of the the shine the cut off the heat maybe a hope spot then the comeback and then the finish now it's something that has been preached as it were um for years with some people buying into it others less obviously it's a useful structure and it's sort of a good blueprint i do however feel that they stuck to that very very tightly um the other thing is in the, on the subject of the cutoff you mentioned that bo dallas like ran around the ring to catch mcgillicuddy the thing that got me was that he would seem to just get distracted by Derek bateman he did not Derek bateman sorry um johnny curtis <laughs> um and uh just had just grabbed his leg so i'm not sure if someone forgot something um okay. but i i feel that would have been better had the heels had johnny curtis instigated something to cause Bo to react because otherwise it, it just made him look a bit dim mm. yeah i think that's something that that's something that's really difficult in in wrestling i think especially you know maybe maybe nowadays when people's music hits and, and wrestlers get distracted just by that and so on it it always, I mean, Sting is a Sting is a great example. We're covering a lot of Sting on Nitro Nights and, and how gullible he has been in his entire career. You know, I love Sting, but the amount of times he believed Luger was his friend, the amount of times he believed, uh, I don't know, the, the Horsemen were his friends or whatever. Sting is distracted so easily in early nineties WCW, mid nineties WCW. It's ridiculous. I think it's incredibly difficult to make it. Well, from my standpoint, anyway, outside looking in, you may have a completely different and more informed opinion, but. I think it comes across difficult doing a distraction spot without the the good guy wrestler who's being distracted not looking a little bit daft at times. I think you've got to. I, I think you need to sometimes you know watching what I see on television. I think extra thought sometimes needs to go into those moments because after the fact, I mean, even my daughter turns around to me and goes, "Why did you let go of that hold? It's just someone's music playing or or whatever." And I kind of think to myself, "Well, if if my youngest is asking those questions." And she's 12. I got into wrestling when I was seven, eight years of age or whatever it was. Would somebody of that age start noticing it now as well? Have I made sense there? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I believe I think that as people inside the wrestling bubble, we can get trapped up in tropes that it's something that we've seen that has been done over and over. And so it's just kind of accepted in the same way as like a referee's made of glass. It's just right. accepted. But at the same time, for someone outside of the bubble, for that seven-year-old, they were like, why is that referee just shattered and like has now been led on the floor for a half hour when they got breathed on? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely something that's worth looking at. It's worth looking at on an institutional level, I think. However, that kind of stuff has to come from the top down. And I think until someone sees it as a big problem, uh, it's probably not something that's going to change unfortunately um but yeah like you can do stuff as an individual like like as the hitmen uh myself and dave i always thought that we prided ourselves on the little things we didn't want to bury our opponents as baby faces we didn't want them to look stupid because of something that we've done we wanted to look smart and devious so yeah we tried to not bury our babyface opponents by making them do something egregiously dim. Yeah. No, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, here we get... I mean, I'm, This match, the crowd seemed very, very quiet throughout the duration Flat. of this match. Absolutely mm -hmm. nothing there. And the biggest moment for me was when uh, Bateman on the outside got what I suppose you refer to as the hot tag. You know, his, 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 his partner, sorry, who's been um, beaten up for quite a duration of the match, finally reaches his corner. And there was just no reaction at all. And at that moment, I, I just thought to myself, okay, it, if there's no reaction for that, then it just comes across like people just aren't arsed about this, are they? Yeah, they just, the people didn't care. And it could have been that they'd been there for hours because at this mm -hmm. point they were bulk taping everything. Um, it could be that they don't care about the individuals, which again, they've not seen much of Bo Dallas. They've not had much of a reason to care for Derek Bateman. Um, Derek Bateman for a, his part like gave it socks. Like it was a good mechanical hot tag and he, he got the people into it eventually, but he really had to work to get a reaction. Um, it's just 
one of them things where I think like you, you couldn't expect too much from them. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the rock, you know, yeah. a guy who, who can just get a massive reaction from a turn of the head. Uh, that comes with time. It comes from getting over, which, you know, if everyone knew how to get over, we, you know, if I knew how to properly get over, we're probably not having this conversation because I'm too busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know. Well, you're over with me, my friend. You're over with me. Oh, uh, <laughs> eventually, Michael McGillicuddy, uh, as you mentioned, trips Bateman from the outside. He's distracted and uh, Curtis pins him. And that's that, that's the end of the match. The heels go over with a little distraction from the outside. Uh, I suppose it's, it's nice seeing these four guys on the television. It's, it's, it's something different because obviously they got a, a few issues as singles wrestlers and they're combining it into a tag match. But I mean, it, it served purpose for me that you know it kicked off the opening match, but it wasn't it wasn't spectacular by any means. No, something that I want to point out, especially during this time period, is we might be having a little bit of the dreaded 50-50 booking. Okay. Because if you recall, Johnny Curtis wrestled Derek Bateman and Bateman won that contest. Mm-hmm. With um McGillicuddy, he lost to Tyson Kidd in that first show. Um, not so much Bo Dallas, I guess Bo Dallas is just a low guy on the totem pole right now, but there does seem to be a little bit of that just balancing thing. And it was something that people complained about during the time period. So it would make sense that it's something that's going on. So it might just be something for us to keep an eye on. Yeah, well, that's a great show. I suppose uh, this early in NXT, they're still trying to get people to find their feet. They don't want to have anyone on a losing streak potentially, but no, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. It's going to be interesting to sort of, you know, keep notes on that. Uh, our next match was one I was really looking forward to after last week's show, and because we have Cesaro, who I'm always a, a massive, massive fan of, and he's facing Alex Riley, who I think has got an absolutely banging entrance theme. That is a that is class. His entrance theme is as good as Cesaro's at the time is bad. Was oh, yeah, what was terrible? That? It sounds like a cover of. Chelsea dagger by the Fratellis, but with less oomph. Yeah, yeah, with a lot less character to it. It was, it was not good. It didn't fit. It didn't even fit him, that's, though, did it? That's it. It didn't fit. It, it was just. It reminded me talking about Nitro Nights. It reminded me of like some WCW music where they just seemed to go to the Turner Vault and get generic music. Fourteen. Yeah, yeah, um, oh, I get yeah. It was very generic, but it's not. You can get generic music that kind of works, but this was just a write-off to me. This was no good at all. No, it's uh, one of those things where good music can't necessarily make you, with the exception of maybe uh, Bobby Roode springs to mind with that glorious, that that made him, that really yeah. did get him <laughs> over. Um, but it's like a name, like a bad name can sink you, and you can mm. be bloody brilliant, but if you've got the wrong presentation, like, People can't sometimes see past that. Um, I'm pretty sure they fixed Cesaro's music soon and it couldn't come soon enough because that was blur. Yeah, it was. And again, you saying that the right music, the right name makes a difference. I'm not a fan of Alex Riley. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with him, but at the same time, there's nothing that makes me rush to watch his matches. So the fact that I'm thinking, you know, oh, I'm looking forward to this match because I get to hear that theme. I suppose shows the other side of the coin, doesn't it? He's to me, he's someone I want to watch because his music's great. So <laughs> his music is very good. Say it to my face. Exactly. Um, the match starts with Cesaro very much out wrestling his opponent for for big portions of. Well, I say the match starts this way; it carries on that way for for a lot of the contest. He batters him. I'd say mm. so. Batter. Yes, we do get a funny move off off the corner at one stage that almost looked like... I mean, I couldn't figure out who was doing what to who. And then Alex Riley jumped up. Who, By the time they hit the mat, I thought Riley was the one who was having the move done to him, whatever they were trying to put off. But Riley was the one who jumped up and then covered Cesaro. So I got a bit, little bit lost in that moment there. Uh, but, I mean, something else that stands out a great deal from this is how much of a hard-on William Regal has for the fact that Cesaro trained as a rugby player. <laughs> I think that was uh, an edict coming down from up high. It was his uh, his kayfabe backstory. I don't know for certain if uh, Cesaro played rugby. I don't believe he did. I'm pretty sure this is just something that uh, 
you know, came down from up high. But on the subject of commentary, uh, we had JR for this one. But yes, yes. But Sai, in my opinion, this was one of those where I think JR was just having a bit of a laugh. I don't know if you noticed, but he was just sort of making fun <laughs> to a good degree. I mean, um, at one point, William Regal mentions that um, a hold that. Cesaro's using, I think he called it three and one, was used by a wrestler called Zoltan Boschek. And JR just sort of mocks him and goes, Not Wilbur Schneider. You know, not something <laughs> ridiculous. And then I remember at one point he mentioned about um, Cesaro cutting cheese, which, if anyone knows uh, what that would mean, is not necessarily the most serious take mm. on things. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked up a bit on that, but I think I enjoy Regal so much that. I, I kind of skirted under the under the radar for me a little bit, flew under the radar for me a touch. You know, I'm, I'm Jim Ross to me when he's fired up and really going for it is, is an absolutely incredible commentator, and he, he's someone who I, I I I love Jim Ross. I'm, I make no secrets about this on any of the podcasts I do, but I do understand there are some moments where he maybe doesn't do himself, he doesn't color himself in the best light, shall we say, with certain matches, certain reactions, certain things he says. But here, I think Regal is 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 great. He, he's he's informative. He's funny, and I don't notice Jim Ross as much because Regal is quite good. Yeah, Regal is definitely putting a shift in. He is uh, he's putting Cesaro over, and that's not to say that he's not doing the same for Alex Riley, but he's. Like he's got a hundred and one different stories about everything that Cesaro is doing, probably because he knows the actual stories. Because mm. those are two people who are fairly close, I believe that uh, Regal had a hand in training him at some points in his career. Um, so, yeah, and so just it was sort of a Regal anecdote fest. Yeah, yes, it was. I mean, we do get Riley uh, trying to make a a fight back, a comeback at one point, and he hits quite a quite a sharp sort of snappy looking spine buster uh, as part of that. But then o- Oksana, is that how you pronounce it? It is, isn't it? Oksana. Oksana, yeah. Yeah. From the outside uh, distracts Alex Riley and Cesaro takes advantage and wins with the neutralizer move. Now, this is the second match on a very short show. that has kind of got this distraction finish to it. Is that overkill or did it not really bother you? Maybe. I mean, for this one especially, the the angle at which she, she does it, like she doesn't jump up and make a noise from behind, causing Riley to turn around. She she just gets in his face, and Riley, at the corner of his eye, can still see Cesaro. Yeah. So that really, in my opinion, makes him look a dunce. Yeah. And so then Cesaro just sort of charges, gives him like what looks like a dump tackle, and then, as you said, the neutralizer. Um, but yeah, I really thought that one was not especially flattering for young A-Rai there. It really did make him look a bit mm. dim. So clearly the years of uh, the Miz tutelage didn't help him very much. <laughs> yeah, potentially. <laughs> I mean, with regards to Alex Riley, obviously he's, he, he had, a, he had a, a, a short run on the main roster. And it was a, to me, it was a great story with the Miz of when's he going to turn. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's been done all over the place, hasn't it? In different companies for many, many years. You know, when's this guy that we really want to to see discover the truth about his his so-called friend going to discover it and turn and we get behind him and so on. I, I thought that was great. Since then, he's not really, he didn't really do anything of, of note. But you look at the guy, he ticks a lot of boxes for, I suppose, the WWE paint-by-numbers wrestler, I guess. Is it just down to a charisma aspect, do you think? Or or was there less in-ring ability than was required? Or what, what kind of sort of stumbled Alex Riley, do you think? I mean, it could be any of the above. I don't... I mean, as you said, he's a big old unit. He's a mm. big boy. He's athletic. I believe they said he played uh, American football. Mm. He looks um, great as well, man. He's a handsome chap, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, good-looking guy. Um I think they, that's another thing. I think they said his mum was a beauty queen or something. So, yeah, he's got the oh, looks okay. in there. Um, yeah, he seemed fairly well-spoken. Um, he he does just seem like the sort of person who McMahon and co. would have got on. And it's just one of those things. He just didn't seem to take. I know that we'll see him a little down the line. Uh, I'm pretty sure he becomes an announcer for NXT for a period. Okay. Um and yeah, it just it just seemed to be one of those things that didn't come together. I'm sure that if we uh, keep watching, we might see how things shake out. I don't think he was an especially bad wrestler. I don't think he was an especially good one. 
for like the the standard of WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it does seem a bit of a, a question mark as to what went on there. Yeah, like you said, perhaps we'll find out more as as we continue our watch back. Uh, next up, we have an interview with Cassius Ono, and it's another one of those I think where. They're talking about, I can't remember exactly how you worded it. They're talking about themselves, which can be a very difficult thing to do because they haven't actually got a topic or anything like that to really pinpoint or, or really bullet point. They are just trying to talk about themselves. And uh, Cassius Ono here, the only real thing that stands out to me is that he says he, he brings an element of danger and he's quite a dangerous man. Yeah. I, I, yeah. There wasn't much else there for me. Was What about yourself? Uh, no, again, I think it was fine. I do think it's still a very tough uh, situation to be in um, when you don't really have a topic. As you say, th- he's, he's not in a program. He's not an angle. He's just explaining himself, which, as I said, is like writing a CV. It's just turgid. Mm. Um, I don't think he did a terribly bad job. Um, as you said, it, it got the point across that um, he brings the element of danger. And if you were to look at Cassius Ono, he doesn't necessarily look the most intimidating or imposing um you do kind of have to have him around for a little while to truly understand how talented he is and he's an impeccably good wrestler um so yeah i can't really fault it as you say there just wasn't there wasn't much to it but Mm. i didn't think it was bad what he did say not that it was especially memorable Sometimes I get these almost like um, a sink or swim kind of vibe with these because they are very short, very quick little promos, aren't they? And I, I know they're just trying to get people in front of the camera because not everyone can wrestle every week. So if you get like, like Ono, for example, we've seen him wrestle once in the five or six episodes of NXT we've covered so far. But here he is again, a real, real short little interview segment. And it just reminds you he's there. But sometimes I think that I mean, Justin Gabriel, we spoke about the other week, he had a segment like this and his match was re- relatively good, but his interview segment was the exact opposite of that. And I feel maybe, uh, is it sometimes like that? A, a bit of a, a sink or swim or let's chuck him in front of the camera and see what they can do. And if they, if they succeed great, if they don't, well, then we learn from that. Well, I think the difference I'd say with that was with the Gabriel promo, it was, in like the WWE, like the main roster environment. And so it mm. felt scripted. Whereas this one felt a lot more like it was something off the top of Ono's head. And yeah, okay. therefore I, I think it, it I, th- I think it was definitely better than the Gabriel one. Uh, if we're just doing a straight comparison, um, it's, it's still the same thing though. It's still very difficult to just talk about yourself. Um, I do think he was fairly well-spoken and he was, you know, he was able to still get the point across, but as you say, it's just, if anything, he maybe got a little bit too much time because it's just, there's only so many different ways you can say, I like to hurt people. Well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> uh, this is followed by Matt Stryker looking very, very, very pleased with himself because he gets to stand next to a very young baby faced looking Drew McIntyre, baby faced meaning as in he looks very young, not as in he's a good guy wrestler here. And, and Drew basically says that lots of people have been doing a lot of talking. Time, time for talk is over. No more talking. And that's kind of it. And it kind of, in the, in the opposite of the Cassius Ono promo, for me, Drew's promo, he came across, the point he was trying to make came across very well. He's no more talking now. Everyone's had a lot to say about me. This is serious. And I was like, okay, I, 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 as short as it was, I liked that. Yeah, I think it worked. I Again, it's a, a theory, but I believe that because this was done by Stryker and was up on the main roster, it was probably scripted. However, okay. it wasn't. It didn't have that usual cadence that the scripted promos have. I think that McIntyre worked with what they gave him, and that he was able to, you know, elucidate that point without it sounding like that carbon copy of everything else. Um, as you said, it the thing that I was interested by was the stuff that Stryker had to say because it was very much like, "Hey Drew, we thought you were going to be great, and now you've turned out to be a screw up. What do you have to say about you? <laughs> yeah. What What do you have to say for yourself? Yeah. Explain yourself, young man. That sort of Explain vibe. Explain <laughs> yourself. Uh, our next match. Then we go back to the ring for a a ladies contest, and we have. Divas. Well, I don't like that term, mate. I it's don't. still. 
it's still Divas' side. Okay, we go back for a Divas I, con. And I think okay. <laughs> I think that while we're still, I, I, you've got to look at it in context, right? And yeah, so they're right. still viewed as Divas. And so I think that we do have to call them Divas' side. No, fair enough then, fair enough. We go back to the ring for a Divas contest. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't, we, don't get me wrong, by the way. I think it's silly. I yeah, think it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, we have Natalia here, who has had already some success on the main roster. I believe they said she's won uh, the Divas Championship and so on in the past already at this stage in her career. And she is facing Sofia Cortez. Rigor here comes out of a line when Cortez comes to the ring about but basically he's singing her praises about how attractive she is and he then turns around and says I'd never get a chance with a girl like that just once in my life would be great I spend all my time with old scrubbers now as <laughs> as chauvinistic as that was it did make me laugh <laughs> it, it was a good line as it does speak to the time period we're in when we are still focusing on you know how how these young ladies look um, on the subject of how they look, Natalia has not aged. No, I know. I thought the same. Like, she looks incredible. Fillers and collagen, maybe. But man, she yep. still looks exactly the same. Maybe she's got a portrait in, a, in an attic somewhere. This aging horribly. <laughs> yeah. But, but she still looks the, the same. It's not just that she looks great. She looks the same. I think she gets a rough ride as well, Natalia. There's a lot of these supposed experts online who, who slate her and say she's boring and they don't want to see her in this match, don't want to see her in that match. But when you actually hear people who have, well, who work in WWE, NXT, or have worked in WWE and NXT in the past, the you know from the divas or the or the women's divisions, they all sing her praises, you know, because she's come in with a wrestling background already, obviously with her family roots and so on. Some of these ladies come in, they 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 have no idea when they start. They're there because of the way they look or or whatever, and everyone sings Natalia's praises as as being almost like the big sister of of that locker room looking after them and helping them with various things and so on and i think she gets her her importance i think to the development of women's wrestling in general sometimes gets a little bit overlooked because of that natalia is bloody brilliant she Mm. is without doubt one of the absolute best women still there she was one of the best women then, for sure. Um, a good example of that is this match because we saw Sofia Cortez against Paige, and it wasn't it wasn't quite there. This yeah. match was much better, and I would attribute that to Natalia because she had the experience. I think that it's obvious that she led this match, that she got Sofia Cortez through this match, frankly. Um, and yeah, the, I think it's popular to dislike her. Mm. I think it's just one of the, so you know it's a situation where if something gets said enough times, it becomes a fact. Yes. And I okay. think the, the idea that Natalia is boring or that, you know, she, she has been around a long time, which does mean you run the risk of getting stale. She's not always been used in the best way, but she was the individual who brought in Ronda Rousey. Like she was used to like bring her up to snuff. So mm. she's still being used in this role as the motherly figure, the older sister figure to like help bring these women along. And in terms of wrestling ability, especially during this time, I don't think she could be touched. No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely spot on there. And in this match as well, it kind of looks that way for quite a, quite a portion of it. Uh, this is a funny one for me, this match, and I'll, I'll run for it quickly now and, and explain why. Natalia is in control for a great deal of it. Aside from a couple of, you know, good looking arm drags from her opponent. There's an odd moment where I suppose it's, it's the, it's the ruffling up of Ric Flair's hair, but instead of that, Natalia slaps Cortez's backside as a way of sort of mocking her. That was a bit of an odd one for me, but never mind. You know, some things work, some things don't. We then have both ladies attempting pins quite quickly, a couple of different roll-ups and so on. Natalia, as she's attempting to pin her opponent, falls out of the ring quite comically in a way. It looked like quite a, a fall that wasn't she wasn't quite close enough to do that fall, I guess. She had to take an extra couple of steps, which kind of didn't look quite right. However, when that happened, I'm thinking, okay, this is getting going now. I'm enjoying this. And, uh, you know, you've made the comparison of the match between Cortez and, and Paige and so on. And, and we've seen a couple of others, uh, uh, Divas matches as well. This, up to that point felt potentially like the best divas match we have seen 
since we started watching NXT. And there's a lot, of, not a lot of competition, of course. But up to this point, I was really enjoying this. Natalia just stays outside the ring and decides to get counted out. She's not even, she's not knocked out. She's not, she's not incapacitated. She's literally just shouting at the ref, "I'm not getting back in." Gets counted out. And, I'm and like, then, okay, fine. Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, no, you carry on. I know exactly where you're going to go to because it is a very <laughs> strange thing, isn't it? Yeah, please I, carry on. I was going to say, and then post match, she then attacks Sofia Cortez, puts her in the sharpshooter. I think this comes down to the fact that they didn't want, they wanted to have the match because they wanted to make Sofia Cortez look good. They didn't want to beat Sofia Cortez and they didn't want to beat Natalia, which puts you in a very tough situation as to how to end the match. Mm. I don't, however, think that anything they did there put them in a flattering light. I think if you're going to have that match, it should probably have a finish. You should probably have Sofia Cortez win and you could still go to where you're getting to with Natalia attacking her after the match. Now, you don't need to beat Natalia flat, but you can have some sort of a quick roll-up and yep. make a big deal of it. Um, yeah, I don't know who drew this one up, um, but I don't think it was good on paper. And then the execution of it made it a bit wonky as well. And as you said, it, it was because I think the ending where... Natalia was like fired out of a cannon to the floor was much more like she'd been rolled like a bowling ball and then had mm. to like scramble the last few feet to get out of the ring. So yeah, it really didn't work in execution or in like the, um, on paper it didn't work in, yeah. in theory or otherwise. Yeah, no, I get you. Totally. Uh, we get a little promo or, or vignettes then saying that the Ascension is next which is Yay. great because they looked great in the previous weeks and we, we haven't seen them for a little for a little while so this is you know i was like oh, brilliant glad to see these guys uh then the raw 1000 catch-up that we mentioned earlier in the show and again it made the show made this episode of raw look incredible but it's very long this catch-up isn't it it's for for a show that clocks in on on the network obviously there's no adverts on the network it clocks in at what 44 45 minutes in that sort of region something like that yeah this i think is excessively long when you've got people you're trying to get on the television yeah i mean i i can understand it because obviously all wwe programming is an advert for more wwe programming mm -hmm. and raw is the flagship show and it was the 1000th one they they threw everything at it they had every cameo you can imagine they had every big name that they could possibly drag in they had say big angles paying off say aj lee becoming the general manager you had dx um cm punk turning heel which obviously a big deal um i think john cena was cashing in his money in the bank which didn't necessarily mean masses but it was still you know it's a money in the bank cash in so yeah it makes sense that they would uh you know try and shine a spotlight on it but yeah i do think it hurt some of the matches or uh you know just just the flow of the show because yeah that that recap was definitely longer than the tag match and it's very difficult to tell a story of a tag match in six minutes Si. well yes yeah i mean the, the the match that we have coming up this this next tag match with the ascension is incredibly short as well but that's by design because the Ascension are, I mean, first of all, their opponents uh, are facing the combination of Garrett Dillon and Dante Dash, two people I'm not overly familiar with. I don't think I've ever heard of Garrett Dillon before. No, we saw Dante Dash a few weeks back getting mm. murdered by someone. Oh, was that? Who was that? Do you remember? No. Uh, must have been good. Oh, well. Probably um, gender. <laughs> yeah, it might have been gender. Usually gender. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of the ascension they are clearly a project that they're looking to push they have the best entrance in nxt right now um i think yeah they have the best entrance in nxt bar none like they're just the lights the music the the the, the camera cuts the the contact lenses make such a thing as well don't they? that was that looked incredible the contact lenses glowing in the guy's eyes but mm -hmm. i mean ultimately this is this is set up to i suppose add to that production add to the 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 appearance of the ascension in their entrance because they just squash their opponents they destroy them you know yeah. and and that's that which is i've got no issues with that because it's it's the end game we're looking at we're building the ascension up and that's how you can do it yeah they absolutely they, they just went through them i mean they mm. bought um 
Garrett Dillon off and just uh, stayed on Dante. We saw a, another unicorn stampede years before the uh, New Day were doing it, which I was a big fan of. And then, and then, Sai, and then they did the fall of man. Downcast is no more. I am a happy bunny. Yes, a proper finish. A proper finish. <laughs> proper finish. That takes us then to our main event. And I was very excited about this because I had no idea this was coming up until I put, pressed play on the episode. There was no hint about this last week or anything like that. I knew Riley Cesaro was on the show, but this main event coming up here, I was like, oh, wow, okay. And it, it instantly grabbed my attention. Our main event is Seth Rollins, and he is facing Drew McIntyre. That's after, however, we get more video packages. The first one being a BS Star package featuring numerous uh, wrestlers and celebrities and so on. An anti-bullying campaign that WWE ran for for quite a while. And some people criticize it because of stories you get from backstage in WWE where there can be sort of bully boy tactics there. But to me, if you've got people like John Cena and Sheamus turning around and and getting behind an anti-bullying campaign on screen, I'm all about that. I think that's great because the idea, as a father myself, I do any of my kids getting picked on mortifies me. So yeah, anything that WWE does or any company does to try and promote that sort of uh, attitude, I'm I'm all about that, Joshua. I think any kind of situation where you try to take a stance, Mm. like you're never going to be absolutely spotless um, just because you take out your green bins for recycling doesn't mean you should all live with candles or you shouldn't drive a car. Um, I think in a situation like this, you can be a hypocrite or you can be an asshole. Um, and so I'd much rather they uh, have a little touch of hypocrisy than to just be like, well, we've got, we've not got a spotless past and therefore we can't do anything about bullying. And yeah, don't be a bully side, be a star. Mm, there we go. And we also get another look at Big E, who apparently is coming next week. And it's just clips of him smashing through people in looking awesome and huge. So looking forward to that on next week's show. Yeah, he looks absolutely terrifying. He uh, goes over his uh, explaining his ritual again and you just get clips of him just mullering guys like his his stuff looks like it hurts there's a good chance his stuff does hurt at this stage but like it looks good and that's he is solid isn't he such a big guy big boy like a real big boy much bigger than he is now um Mm. he's obviously trimmed down a fair bit now um but yeah he he looks he looks like a top guy at this stage like he looks like yeah i could see you with the uh with a championship i could see you wwe champion obviously he's got got some ways to come with it but he's got that look and he's got that aura about him of like oh you could be special yeah yeah 100 100 uh somebody else who i think could be special and obviously we know goes on to be we see seth rollins making his entrance but he's doing the whole moshing to heavy metal music on his own and it just looks quite silly obviously you know he's got to find his feet with regards to where he's going character wise but yeah it's a, it's a bit daft uh, Drew comes out to Broken Dreams, which I'm a massive fan of. Another great entrance theme. It is a very good entrance theme. I was a big fan of that one. Um, it was uh, with the extended entrance at the beginning. Um, but yeah, that one's definitely on my uh, my playlist side. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. It's fantastic. And I, when he used it in Cardiff as well, that was that was a great moment. Little the little videos and the flashbacks to him, you know, working through the Indies and, and as a kid as a wrestling fan. Yeah, just so good. That little little clip there, absolutely brilliant. Broken Dreams, love it. The match is effectively similar to a contest we looked at a week or two ago, where it's the two different mindsets dependent upon. I guess, wrestling style and size because we have the power and the strength of Drew McIntyre and leaning more towards using a a sort of speed and athleticism, I guess, from Seth Rollins. Uh, From Rollins, we see lots of drop kicks, but Drew is very much interested in grabbing hold of his opponent and overpowering him. To me, again, it's, it's a relatively simple story, I guess, because big guy versus smaller guy, you can do that. But when it's done well, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Yes, I. You said when it's done well. I don't feel it's done well here. I don't okay, feel interesting. I don't feel it's especially consistent. I feel like Drew McIntyre especially is working small, which 
again, he's working. He's not necessarily like it's very inconsistent because there are times when he drops Seth with one punch, but there are times when Seth drops Drew with one punch. There's right. a time like when they both go down and Drew does the nip up followed by mm-hmm. Seth doing it. Now it's very impressive that Drew can do a nip up, but I think in this situation, just because you can, doesn't mean that you should. Right. Um, as you said, I think that the story, the, the obvious story is that you've got big guy, little guy. And let's say, I think Drew is working smaller. Um, now there are people who have worked smaller for, you know, valid reasons. William Regal is an individual. He's quite a big guy like six foot three, six foot four, but he has on occasion worked smaller. So, you know, just bumped around for smaller guys in order to make them look better. There have been individuals like Shawn Michaels brings to mind. Eddie Guerrero is a big example of someone who worked big. Like he was a diminutive relative to wrestling, but he didn't wrestle like he was a smaller guy. I mean, another guy, uh, Kurt Angle or Chris Benoit, individuals who by wrestling standards are smaller but they never, you didn't see Kurt Angle doing Huracaranas, for example. Mm. He, he would use his wrestling, obviously. Um, but at no point did you ever th- consider the fact that The Undertaker outweighed Kurt Angle by nearly 100 pounds and had like a foot on him. It was never that kind of a contest. Okay. Um, However, with this one, I do believe they were trying to tell that story where there was a size disparity. However, they didn't do it with enough consistency for it to really land for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, I get you. That's really interesting because the nip up is something I do have a note about, you know, not with regards to, you know, as, as insightful uh, as yourself there, but it, the, the, the both of them doing a nip up there. In theory, obviously, I can see the process. Drew nips up. Seth nips up afterwards and then hits him with this this very high kick. So I can understand he's trying to you know react quickly and and get the upper hand. However, Drew does the nip up, looks amazing. He's a big guy. Seth does it, but doesn't quite land it properly, and and so on. I'm I'm being hypercritical here, and it's incredibly unfair of me to do so. If anyone's ever met me in person, they know I'm very much far from athletic. I I struggle to do a sit up, never mind a nip up. However, hmm. when you've got somebody who's just done something very well and then the the supposed good guy doesn't quite execute it as well does that kind of affect what we're watching as well potentially i know i'm breaking it down to literally just one moment but does that affect things also it it still counts it's it's a situation where you're outshining your baby face which you don't want you never want i mean to bring it about down to me like i can do a nip up. I can do a nip up with no hands. I can do head springs. I can do, you know, flips. I can, I can do some of this stuff. You'll never hardly ever see me do it in a wrestling match because for one, it doesn't necessarily fit the character that I portray, but also if I'm able to do things that are more athletic than my opponent, especially if my opponent is an athletic individual, then it really undermines the story that we're trying to tell. Because the story that we're trying to tell is that the good guy is always better than the bad guy. That's why the bad guy has to resort to underhanded tactics. And again, mm. it's really, you, you boil down wrestling. It's a morality play. So you need good and evil. And so yeah. evil should never really be better than good. I mean, it's not a situation where you can't do that because you can always have like, the giant man is going to be stronger than the smaller man. But then you still need to have that thing where ultimately the good guy is better than the bad guy. Yeah. No, I get you. I get you. And that, again, absolutely brilliant insight. This is why I really enjoy doing this show because I, I feel I learned so much myself just hearing you break things down and so on. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, something I did enjoy was when Drew went for that kind of, I, I suppose, double underhook DDT, the future shock, I think they call it. Mm-hmm. And rather than we get a flashy counter or, or you know, as as Seth is lifted, he kind of rolls out of it or anything like that. Seth frantically tries to hook the ropes to break this. He, he, he comes across fearful of taking this move. And I like that because I, I think if somebody's got a finish, it should mean something. Because if, if everyone kicks out of a finish, then obviously it means nothing. But you can also, I suppose, portray that kind of uh, strength of that move by the panic on the person who is going to be potentially getting hit with that move. Yeah. By the panic on the move. And also 
the wrestler attempting to apply it. Because if you've got that knockout punch, if you've got that kill shot in your arsenal, you're going to be going for that every opportunity you get, right? Like if you watch Jake the Snake from the minute the bell rings, he's going for that DDT. He's looking for that DDT because he knows that will win him the match. Like he's got other things in the book, but that's the move he's going for. If you watch Ric Flair, he's always working towards that figure four. Like mm-hmm. the reason he does the chops to the chest, at least in wrestling, like in the context of wrestling, he's doing those chops to the chest. So you lift your hands so he can go after your knees, so he yeah. can go after your legs, so he can apply that his move. And again, that comes down to the storytelling of wrestling, right? Because again, wrestling, as well as being a morality play, it's stories. So you can do moves in a row all you want, but if they don't have a meaning behind them, they're just not going to land as well as a, as a well-constructed story. Yeah. You're spot on. You're spot on. And I, I know, again, I use her as a point of reference all the time, but Charlie, when we watch AEW, she loves all the flips, loves all the aerial. That's her preferred style of wrestling stuff where, where they're, they don't need a ring because they're in the air so much. Mm-hmm. However, even Charlie, when we get to like a five hour pay-per-view gets to the stage, of, okay, I've seen a backflip. Now I've seen four or five backflips now. And, guys who tell a story i see her get more invested i mean she moxley's her favorite and i think moxley's very very good at this sort of thing and i think that's why she sits up till 5 a.m to wait for him in the main event because of the storytelling as opposed to the the the, the backflips and so on it's an al snow quote that i remember hearing that if you're doing moves in a row like very impressive moves it's almost like fireworks and fireworks are very impressive Mm-hmm. How many times a year do you need to see fireworks? Very true. That's that's brilliant. That's really good. Yeah, I like that. I'm stealing that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking credit for it. It wasn't mine. But I'll regurgitate it. You're going to hear that on Chain Wrestling this week, guaranteed. Um, <laughs> eventually, we have Rollins going for one of these these backflips that we were just talking about. He attempts a moonsault, which misses. Uh, Drew hits a big boot. And then does hit the the future shot DDT for the win, which also backs think, up to the peril of trying to hit it earlier on. I don't think you've given that big boot enough credit. So it was a big boot. Oh yes, and yeah. and and Seth sold it like he'd just been hit with a train. He did used all of his athletic energy to flippy flop around it, and then that future shock. I've never seen this future shock look worse. It looked like he dropped him straight on his head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of big boot is something that it's been a stable of wrestling for. I mean, Hogan used to use it to set up for his leg drop for crying out loud all those years. When used well, is I suppose the same as a clothesline or a lariat. When you look at someone like JBL that we mentioned in the past, when used well and, and, and sold well, even something that I suppose could be described as being simpler than other moves, it looks incredible, doesn't it? And it adds to the drama of the situation. Anything can be used as a finish. Anything can be used as something that can be more devastating. It depends on how you sell it, how the guy can deliver it. Anything can be used as a finish. It's all repetition and getting the move over, so to speak. Like Drew could absolutely, during this time, have used the big boot as a finish. In fact, he does now. He just leaves his foot, so he does the claymore. Um, But yeah, anything could be a finish site, even a bear hug. Oh, God, let's not go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed this show so much. Let's not ruin it now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's basically it. The show goes off air. But we have an announcement before the show goes off air. We have an announcement that next week we're getting an announcement. <laughs> yeah, that's so. right. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes has something to say. Yes. So hopefully we get to see Dusty and hear his music tomorrow. Uh, sorry, next week. But there we go. That's that's the end of that episode. I suppose we need to give it our ratings, our glorious and our softs, our plus points and our negatives, and then rate the show overall, Joshua. There's only one word to describe you. Glorious. You're soft, you slap. Uh, do you want to go first or second, my friend? Uh, I'll go first. Okie doke. What you got? Soft, glorious. Where are we going? Um, so my glorious is the fact that somehow the WWE are listening to us 
from from 10 years ago they are listening to us because the other thing that we haven't actually mentioned first off for me the ascension got a new finish so i'm happy but right. for weeks now you've been talking about how there still doesn't seem to be any stakes mm-hmm. and something that they kept content like the commentary continued to go on about was how every match mattered in nxt and how like for example the main event they said that it was absolutely must win for both men. It was yes. absolutely a hundred percent must win. So even if it's not quite tickling that, tickling that itch for you, they're at least trying, which considering it was 10 years ago, pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. And it did. It really felt important. This main event, it really did. And again, just by adding those lines on commentary that you mentioned, that was the only difference to me, mm-hmm. but it made it, so much more important. Obviously, the fact that Drew was there as well, and we're seeing two big names face off and so on. But the, the commentators adding those lines that you just mentioned there, it made it feel really incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and for myself, which is probably a surprise to no one, it's the finish of that women's match. It just went over like a fart in church. It made no sense. And as you said, it was that match was just starting to get going. It was getting good. And then it just ended. Yes. I, I'll, I'll start with myself because I'm agreeing with you. Mine, mine is exactly the same. The finish of the ladies match. It was a real shame. I was really enjoying it. Uh, I wanted to see more. Hopefully we'll get more because of how it ended after the bell. But yeah, that was, uh, that was a shame how that went. My glorious is quite straightforward, really. It, it's, it's seeing Drew McIntyre, broken dreams and all. I, I really got a kick out of that. You know, I, I was a fan of Drew back in the day. Didn't quite work out for him. I'm, I'm a fan of Drew now. Seeing him here wrestle on NXT. And again, it was a surprise. I had no idea he was on the show until I pressed play. Yeah, I got a big kick out of that, mate. Yeah, I mean, potential. Potential. It, it's mm. not... He's terrible. Um, he's very talented. I think he was just in a bit of a dark place. Actually, there was a line of commentary from... JR saying if if Drew McIntyre could stay focused, then his potential is limitless, which I think has actually just been JR's opinion on the subject. Um, again, he's he's such a brilliant guy, and it's great to see him succeed now. I was a big supporter of his when he went away and reinvented himself, as they said. I mean, he didn't reinvent himself. He just found that killer instinct, got a bit bigger, and then came back, and you know they just had something for him because he, he'd essentially created his own gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to see him being a success, isn't it? Hit, miss, or middling there, my friend? As much as I would like to say it's a hit, for me it's a middle. I think that the bits that let it down um, really let it down. I think that were it not the Ascension and Cesaro really helped carry this show, um, as much as I wanted to, I just didn't like that main event because, as I mentioned, it just I felt as if the story they were trying to tell was inconsistent. Okay, well, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I've got the same rating. It's a middle for me, but I think maybe I'm a little bit more positive, maybe maybe more towards a top-end middle, potentially. Uh, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed seeing faces of people that I know now, but sort of much, much younger. Uh, the Ascension were great as well, the entrance and so on. Uh, yeah, th- there was enough there for me to enjoy. But like you said, there's a couple of things that sort of knock it down a peg or two because of uh, you know the finish of the women's match and other bits and bobs. So, yeah. A middle from me as well. And we get to look forward to a big announcement next week. I've got no idea what that's going to be, to be fair. I have a sneaking suspicion, but I'm not certain and I've not looked yet. Okay. Okay. Well, we will find out next week here on NXT, The Rise and Fall. Joshua, before we depart, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and then uh, whereabouts you know they should be following wrestling companies online where they can see your glorious work? Joshua Goodwin PW on Twitter, Joshua Goodwin on Facebook. Uh, I currently have things going on with Exposure Pro Wrestling, uh, EVM Pro Wrestling, or EVM Wrestling. Um, I think that's it for the minute. Um, but I'll tell you what, that's plenty, Sai, because like I said, I'm, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> no worries. You can, I'll tell you what, turn up every week as tired as this because i think this has been an absolutely fascinating episode we've, we've broken down so much and i've got so much 
uh, a sort of insight into certain things from you. So, yeah, I'm going to make sure uh, next time we record, I'm going to start ringing you in the night every other hour just to disturb you. So. <laughs> I think the main difference is I've been expanding my opinion as fact, whereas before I've been a little bit more tactful. <laughs> no problem at all uh you can find well i was gonna say me but nobody wants to follow me you can find the network on twitter at sjp world media and the same on facebook as well and that's where you can get access to all the shows that the network carries all the the doctor who stuff the the, the quantum leap waiting room podcast all the stuff from benny mack covering the modern day wwe rsh from the states covering that as well nitro nights chain wrestling live on a monday evening all sorts there uh, every show also has its own feed as well. So if sci-fi is not your thing, you can just check out the wrestling shows on their own or press play on the main feed, take in a bit of everything, see what you like, and then seek it off elsewhere. Available on all good pot- podcast platforms and some pretty crappy ones as well. But you can follow this show on Twitter at NXT underscore rise and fall. That's at NXT underscore rise and fall. Chuck us a follow. Let us know if you're watching along with us. Let us know your thoughts on the show, what you like, what you dislike. If there's, if there's anything in particular you want us to talk about, any questions for Joshua himself or anything at all, at NXT underscore rise and fall. It's been a pleasure again, my friend, and I will speak to you next week. I'm asleep. <laughs> Go and get some kit. Go and get some kit. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Bye.